Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Chabot and over the course of this podcast series, I'll be bringing you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In this episode, we look at the tragic story of Shahida Shahid. Shahida, who suffered from a serious dairy allergy, was just 18 years old when she died after being served a chicken burger containing milk. She started to have anaphylactic attack. My sister was losing breath and she became unconscious. That's when her heartbeat stopped as well and oxygen to her brain. The damage was already done. How did this series of errors by restaurant staff kill her? Despite telling them of her allergies, how did they go on to give her the food that caused her death? And how, despite this negligence, has no one been held responsible for what happened? She had no idea that she was eating, you know, something that would be fatal to her. The fact that we spent 18 years looking after her, she never got to this kind of severe reaction at all. And is just from someone's carelessness. She put her trust in their hands. It's just even more heartbreaking that she just went out to have a good time and we never got to see her come home again. We'll also find out from the lawyer who took on the case why negligence isn't always enough for a criminal conviction. They were negligent, they were clearly negligent, they were clearly at fault for what happened and they were responsible for the actions of their employees, but they weren't held to be criminally responsible for what happened. We'll hear how this happened to Shahida, what went so badly wrong, and what can be done to stop this happening to someone else. Shahida Shahid was a successful 18-year-old student who just started studying for her maths degree. She was the youngest of three siblings, and the family had always been very close. Her father had passed away a year earlier, bringing the siblings even closer together. Just before she died, she cut her long black hair short so it could be used for a wig for a little girl suffering cancer through the Little Princess Trust. She was an avid Manchester United fan and her friends and family describe her memorable laugh, giving nature and sense of humour. Shahida was closer to her brother Russell than anyone. I spoke to him, along with her family's lawyer from Slater and Gordon, Michael Hardacre, and one of the country's top allergy specialists, Professor Adam Fox. We begin with Russell. Shaida, or how I used to call her, Shaz, she was really bubbly. She had a very funny personality, very smart girl who was studying master's mathematics in Manchester University. So she had a very bright future ahead of her, or would have. And she was just pretty much the most popular member of our family. And she was mature as well, even though she was seven years younger than me and over 10 years younger than my older sister. She could hold a conversation in a mature way as well. So she had a lot going for her. Me and Shida had a really, really strong bond. We always used to do everything together as well. When did her allergies emerge? When she was pretty much a baby. We started seeing symptoms of her scratching and then having intolerances to food, which then turned out to be allergies, included milk, nuts, eggs, fish as well. Over time, while she was growing up, she just got adjusted to it and mum had to raise Shaida very stringently, making sure that any food that was made wasn't contaminated at all and she was only having the foods that was necessary. How 
serious did your family understand her allergies to be? Well, obviously they had appointments with the doctor and especially with milk, they made it pretty much clear that she can't go anywhere near it or have it. She could have a fatal reaction, which was obviously the the case in the end. So when we were growing up, if she did have an allergy reaction through a mistake of someone feeding her, um, she would puke it up or she would have quite bad allergic reactions on her arm and she'd end up scratching a, a lot. And how did she and you as a family manage living with her allergies? How careful did you all have to be? We only ate foods that she was fine with when we were around her and anything that we wanted to eat that was contaminated, we'd make it specifically clear that this was our food and we'll have it in a, either a separate room or at a different time. Even when we went out, we'd make sure that she was served first properly and then we'd have our food and we'd keep everything separate as we as we did in our house. She was very, very vigilant. As she got older as well, she started making her own types of food. She even started making um, cake without egg, for instance, and with soya milk. She got used to it in the end. Shahida was an intelligent and sensible young woman. She knew how dangerous her allergies could be and how vulnerable they made her. So she did everything she could to protect herself. She always talked to waiting staff whenever she ate out and she carried emergency adrenaline medication in an EpiPen with her at all times. She even trained her friends and family how to administer it. But this wasn't enough. Rasul Shahid told me about the night her sister ate the food that proved fatal to her. Shahida was actually getting ready to go out with her friends, which was basically the last time I'd obviously see her awake and fine and healthy. And it, she was, she looked so beautiful getting ready, uh, doing her hair, uh, doing her eyelashes. She was a young woman and I was just proud to see how she'd grown up, even with the challenges she faced. Shahida and her friends were out that night celebrating a successful first term at university. They went for dinner at a popular burger restaurant in the city centre called Almost Famous. So on the night in question, I asked her where she was going. She mentioned Almost Famous. I actually was wondering if she would be okay, but she assured me she knew that she would be fine and she was confident in what she would be getting. So obviously putting my trust in her, I accepted that. And later on that night, her friend called me. From That's when I was alerted to Shida being unconscious. So when Shida actually went to Almost Famous, uh, she was looking at the menu and she went to, over to the bar and she uh, requested from the bartender uh, to recommend her what would be something that she could have on the menu without, you know, milk or any of her allergies. The chicken burger was recommended for her. Shida wasn't shown an allergy buckler or there was no detail given to her that the chicken burger might contain a marinade of, uh, of some sort. And she obviously put her trust in the bartender and the restaurant as a consumer, what else can you do? You can't question them because obviously they are supposed to know what's being made in their own food. So Shida obviously unknowingly ate 
the chicken burger that contained buttermilk marinade. And within the hour, she started getting the allergic reactions. Despite having a conversation with the waiter and chef at Almost Famous, where she was clear about her allergies, the staff had recommended she order the chicken burger. They assured her it didn't contain anything she was allergic to. But they were wrong. The chicken was, in fact, soaked overnight in a buttermilk marinade. It was a recipe created by the chef who was there that night, a man who should have known that the dairy in the buttermilk would have the potential to cause a fatal allergic reaction if she ate it. Russell told me his sister always told restaurant staff about her allergies. I already know like how she'd order food and that's also why I always put trust in my sister because whenever we used to go out, she'd always tell them her allergies but also make it clear how severe her allergies were. She'd also put it in their hands to recommend what she could eat, which makes it even more heartbreaking as... Her trust was obviously broken and she had no idea that she was eating, you know, something that would be fatal to her. Shahida and her friends left Almost Famous and headed off, but she got progressively more unwell and ended up collapsing at the Printworks cinema complex. As she approached uh, Printworks, she was feeling hot and flustered. That's what her friends uh, were saying. And then she sat on the floor of the printworks and she was finding it hard to breathe and she was feeling really hot and bothered and that's when um, her friends alerted the printworks uh, security guards. Then she started to have anaphylactic attack as to which point uh, my sister was losing breath and she became unconscious and that's when her heartbeat stopped as well and momentarily and oxygen to her brain so the damage was already done at at that point. Once they alerted the security guards, the security guards guards then ordered an ambulance to come. Russell, your sister's friend administered an EpiPen. Did that have any effect? So when my sister's friend administered the EpiPen it actually didn't have much of an effect. She administered it correctly It was already too late uh, in that sense. The allergy reaction was too strong. And in Uh, in the end, she was presumably rushed to hospital. Yes, that's right. That's when I found out from my my sister's friend when she called me that Shaida was unconscious. And I've never before then known Shaida to be unconscious from an allergy reaction at all. So I knew it was obviously very, very serious this time. Russell, did you get to see your sister in hospital? Yes, I did. Not awake, obviously. She was in an induced coma, but when we arrived at the hospital, that's actually when the ambulance arrived. Initially, we thought she was just unconscious and she would be waking up. And I was actually just thinking, I remember on that day, when she wakes up, I'm going to just tell her off so much. That was, there was nothing else I was thinking that was going to happen that she would just wake up and she'd be right as rain eventually or maybe stay the, the the weekend in hospital but otherwise she'd be coming home but obviously as the night wore on and then the next day we found out that it was much much more severe than we could have ever imagined How did she die? So they conducted tests on her reactions and she had severe brain damage and it was irreversible. They couldn't do much more. The oxygen that 
left her brain when her heart stopped or even for 10 minutes was was enough that's ultimately what killed my sister Shahida was unconscious in hospital for three days before she died. The milk in the marinade on the burger caused an allergic reaction that proved fatal. How can something that seems so ordinary be so dangerous? Let's hear now from somebody who can tell us a bit more about allergies. Professor Adam Fox is a consultant paediatric allergist at St Thomas's Hospital London and the current president of the British Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. Professor, what exactly is an allergy? Well, what it relates to is when your immune system just gets it wrong. What I commonly see when people talk about allergy in the media, they talk about the body confusing something that's harmless like peanut or milk or pollen or dust mite for something that's dangerous and responding to it like it's a virus or a bacteria. But actually, that's not what's happening at all. If you look at the origin of the term allergy, it actually relates to another response, a different response. So rather than just either your immune system ignoring something, which in the case of peanuts and milk, it should just ignore it, or reacting to it like it's something dangerous, like a bacteria or or, um, a virus and responding with inflammation. Instead, there's this different type of response. And what makes some things dangerous to some people and not to others? Well, that's the fascinating thing. And there's something that we call atopy, which is an allergic tendency, which is genetically programmed. It's something you're either born with or you're not. And if you've got it, then certain environmental factors will then lead an atopic person to developing an allergy to it. We don't really understand what's driven this enormous increase in allergic disease that we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years, and it has been a very significant increase. We think now the current theory is that it relates to what's going on in what we call our microbiome. So these are the bacteria that live in our gut. There's been a lot of things that have happened in the last two or three decades, like being born in hospital rather than being born at home, changes in our diet, that have meant that the microbiome isn't the same as it used to be. And that seems to be predisposing us to more inappropriate allergic reactions. What happens when you have an allergic reaction? What happens to your body? So what's happening when your immune system recognises something that it's allergic to has been eaten or come into contact with, is it triggers the release of a chemical called histamine. And histamine does a number of different things. It will make you itchy, so it will cause what we call urticaria, so hives. In the deeper layer of the skin, when histamine is released, it will cause swelling, what we call angioedema, and that's usually most obvious, particularly in food allergic reactions around the mouth. But it has another couple of much more worrying effects. One of those is on the blood vessels, so it will cause the blood vessels to dilate and get wider, which means it's much harder to maintain your blood pressure because the tubes are just getting bigger. And the other thing that it will do is it will narrow your airways. And this is a particular problem in people who have not only got food allergies, but have also got asthma. And that's quite a common combination. So if you've got a nut allergy, probably about a 70% chance that you will also have asthma. And if your asthma is not well controlled in the first instance and your airway is already a little bit twitchy and tight, then if you then add a big histamine release into that, you can really run into trouble. Presumably, it's fairly rare for people to die as a result of being allergic to something. So although food allergy affects around 5% of children in the UK, um, it's less in adults because children often outgrow their allergies. Thankfully, very severe and certainly fatal allergic reactions are rare. We estimate that in the UK it's around 20 a year, although there isn't very specific data on this. And as an expert who helps people live with allergies and deal with allergies, how does it come across to you when you hear what you've just heard? 
it's just devastating. It's 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 so desperately sad. I mean, I spend so much time with so many families and who are dealing with exactly the issues that we've just heard about. And it is enormously inspiring to hear how um, people cope and get on and, and live essentially very normal lives, even though underneath that they're actually having enormous struggles with every single time they want to eat something, having this threat hanging over them. Russell, you said when you were expecting her to wake up that you were going to give her a good telling off. You must have been very angry about what happened to her. How did you go about finding out about the exact circumstances leading up to her eating the food that ultimately killed her. There were some police officers that also came on the first day. Um, they informed what happened. They had already been to the restaurant. So that's when we were made aware. Obviously, you're thinking more about you've just lost your sister more than revenge or anything like that. It's more just the fact of losing Shaida. And then obviously the anger of how can someone just be so careless the fact that we spent 18 years looking after her 18 years she never got to this kind of severe reaction at all and it's just from someone's carelessness she put her trust in their hands it's it's just even more heartbreaking that the fact that we were thinking she just went out to have a good time and we never got to see her come home again of course, what followed uh, was an inquest. I want to bring in now Michael Hardacre, Slater and Gordon, personal injury lawyer. Michael, just explain what an inquest is and why it took three years to have the inquest. Well, one of the issues is, unfortunately, capacity within the system, resource within the system. But the first point was the conclusion of the police investigation. The police conducted extensive inquiries in respect of what had happened and it became apparent at an early stage, obviously Shahida being served the contaminated burger, and you know roughly what happened and it was a question then of whether the individual members of staff at the at the restaurant and the company itself could be prosecuted for their failings and uh, if so it, it, what would the charges be the relevant charges would be for an individual a member of staff gross negligence manslaughter and for the company corporate manslaughter but they are charges which are very very hard to make stick the police investigation carried on for probably 12, 18 months, and it was hampered by the fact that the particular chef who had uh, been ultimately responsible for serving the contaminated burger had left the country, left for Australia and was working in Australia and wasn't cooperating with the police. The initial statement that he'd given at the uh, outset in the aftermath was a no-comment interview. So in terms of him explaining what had actually happened. It wasn't clear. The police conducted their investigations. The file then goes to the Crown Prosecution Service to decide whether there's, in reality, a realistic prospect of a successful prosecution. And it's the CPS who have to make the decision whether to bring those charges. And ultimately, they decided not to do that. And then the family appealed that decision. And then, you know, by the time you get to the, uh, ext- at the end of that lengthy process, you're two years down the line. And then, eventually, the coroner listed the inquest for after the police investigation concluded, which was in, which was entirely the right way round for the coroner to, to do that. And then the inquest took place and then it was all revisited all, all over again. And what was the job of the inquest? What is it, was it supposed to do exactly? It's very simple. It's got to establish what the circumstances of the death were, what was the factual matrix of what happened. It's not about apportioning blame, which is obviously what a criminal or civil claim for compensation would would mean. So the the format of the inquest is for the coroner to conduct the inquest for the parties to be represented or 
not as the case may be, and in this case in front of a jury, but for the relevant witnesses to be called and to go through that process of really getting to the bottom of what happened. Inquests always have juries in cases where the death is not a result of natural causes. But the jury were never to hear from the chef who made the burger that killed Shahida. He refused to comment in police interviews and then left the country. The chef in question, who'd ultimately served the contaminated burger, had, had never given a full account of what had happened. It was, you know, it's easy to draw one's own conclusions that it was a, to be polite, a terrible mistake. The fact that the Crown Prosecution Service hadn't seen fit to prosecute that individual meant that they didn't believe that what had happened was deliberate or reckless. Of course, that's the difficult bit, because when Rosal says that him and his family want answers, that's absolutely understandable. How were they able to actually refuse to be there? Well, one of the problems is that if, if they had been charged, criminal charges, they could have been brought back to the country. They would have been required to do so. It's only in England and Wales that the coroner can summons a party as a, a witness to attend an inquest. If they've left the country, there is no power for a coroner to do that. What is the case against Almost Famous Burger? They're responsible for the actions of their employees. So um, Almost Famous are in, in a civil claim for compensation. There's a lower burden of proof. So when I deal with these kind of uh, actions, I'm looking at who's at fault, who has been negligent on the balance of probabilities. That's the, the, the legal burden of proof involved in a civil claim. And it was very immediately apparent that there was no prospect of Almost Famous being able to resist that kind of action. But the problem, as people will perhaps appreciate, is that for a criminal prosecution to succeed, the um, facts have to be established beyond a reasonable doubt. So they were negligent. They were clearly negligent. They were clearly at fault for what happened, and they were responsible for the actions of their employees. But they weren't held to be criminally responsible for what happened. What do you understand happened in terms of from Shahida ordering to being served this food that was fatal to her. Shahida had uh, approached the bartender, the waiter, and explained explicitly, and, and the inquest jury were absolutely clear in saying that you know there was no blame attached to anything that Shahida did. She told uh, the waiter that she had allergy to dairy, milk, eggs, etc. And the bartender then um, went off and spoke to the head chef, uh, and the, to be clear, the head chef did give evidence at the inquest. Um, he uh, and the bartender had what can only be described as a, a conversation of perhaps cross-purposes where it wasn't clear what the bartender was asking the head chef and, and the head chef gave evidence at the inquest to say that if the bartender had said, can this customer have the uh, chicken burger, he would have said no because he would have known that it had buttermilk in it. But that wasn't the question that the bartender asked the head chef and so the head chef was none the wiser. Now, the allergy uh, was put on the order, the physical order, the ticket that went into the kitchen. And then, unfortunately, if that uh, there were two passes uh, in the restaurant that evening, meaning that the head chef was in charge of one side of the kitchen and the other chef, um, Mr. Pierre, who served the contaminated burger, was in charge of the other side of the kitchen. And um, so if the order had gone to um, the head chef, he would have realised and wouldn't have served the burger, but it went to the other chef. Now, one of the completely unexplained things that happened was that the other chef obviously saw the order, the physical order, with the reference to the allergy and yet still served the burger. And one very unfortunate backdrop is that the uh, chef who served the order was actually responsible for the design of that individual item on the menu so it was all the more inexplicable and all the more frustrating and upsetting for the family that he didn't come to the inquest and give evidence.
Michael Hardacre, what went wrong? Training is one thing, and that's where the company becomes involved uh, as a starting point. The training needed to be absolutely watertight. There's the allergy booklet, which wasn't presented to um, Shahida. Uh, It should have been available on request. The bartender should have been able to refer to that. It wasn't immediately available. So it relied on the interaction between the bartender and and the head chef. And that's where human error comes into the equation. And what you have to in these situations is minimize the risk of any potential for human error. Uh, and that's what didn't happen. Now, you know, the the company can say, oh, well, you know, it's a very unfortunate and rare scenario, but there's, it's clear that if they have good training in place with confident staff who understand the implications and that the, that the albeit rare event that can happen, but very, very serious event that can happen, needs to be prevented. Russell, you, you found the inquest, understandably, extremely difficult. What made yeah. it so hard? You know, after waiting three years, it's a very, very long wait. It was very frustrating. It, it was very excruciating at times also hearing the details again. The outcome wasn't what you wanted. What was the no. verdict? So the outcome was um, death by misadventure. And when it's put like that, it just draws up even more questions. Michael Hardacre, why... At the inquest, was the verdict reached of death by misadventure? What does it mean exactly and why that verdict? It's a, a verdict that's unique to the inquest process. It's a, it, it signifies the fact that it's a more serious matter than accidental death. However, it falls short of the higher verdict of unlawful killing, which was the verdict that the family wanted the coroner to reach. But again, it was a case, as it was with the criminal prosecution, that the burden for the coroner to find the verdict of unlawful killing was much higher. So misadventure was, we thought that was the likely outcome, and unfortunately the the coroner wouldn't put the potential verdict of unlawful killing to the jury. Misadventure means a a deliberate action, in this case by the chef who served Shahida the contaminated burger, uh, leading to an unintentional act, and it's a a compromise of the politest term I can use. What is a restaurant required to do by law? They have to provide a full either full allergy information on the menu uh, or on a chalkboard or something sort of in the immediate vicinity that's obviously sort of um, noticeable by um, by members of, uh, by customers or um, a written notice in a clearly visible position. The problem you've got there is that you've got an either or. It strikes me that the very simple way of making sure the risk is minimised is by making sure that allergy information is printed out and spelled out very, very clearly on the menu in respect of every individual uh, item. Professor Adam Fox, how should society change to accommodate people who have these very strong allergies and allergic reactions? I think we've seen a real change in attitudes over the last couple of years because there's been high-profile cases. And when people start to see the reality of this, the severity of what food allergy can do, that does change attitudes and that's enormously important. But we need more than that. We need policy change as well. Of course, People who have got food allergy have to take an enormous amount of responsibility and and they're generally extremely good at doing that. But I think as the rest of society, we've got to meet them halfway. And I think what that means in practice is that for restaurants, catering outlets, etc., to be absolutely upfront and clear about what it is that they're eating. And I think one of the biggest issues with the legislation, which is worth mentioning, is dramatically better than it used to be before. It really was the Wild West previously. But I don't think it went fair enough when it came to food that was in restaurants, pre-packed for direct sale, so where sandwiches, for example, are made on the premises and then sold, because there was the opportunity for inconsistency. 
which meant that in some restaurants, you know, people will recognise this. You'll go into some restaurants and next to every dish there'll be little symbols to say whether it's got nuts in or shellfish or things like that. Whereas other places will just have a comment at the bottom that says, if you need more advice about allergies, then speak to your server. Mm. The danger is, is that if you start getting in the habit of seeing these labels next to things, when you don't, you assume that then there's not a problem. We need a change that means that up front for everybody to see very clearly, you know exactly what it is that's in every dish. And is there an increase in people suffering from allergies? If you look in a 20 to 30 year timescale, unequivocally, yes. Is there more food allergy now than, say, five years ago? It's a hard to say because there aren't the really big, robust um, studies to be able to compare what's happening right now to what was happening a few years ago. But certainly, if you look at data around emer- emergency departments or A&E attendances with allergic reactions, yes, it's going up. It's, we're seeing a rise in the UK, in the US, in Australia, around Europe. People often talk about food intolerances. What's the difference between that and an allergy? So an intolerance doesn't involve your immune system. So the most common intolerance is lactose intolerance. That's an an issue with the sugar that's in milk. And if you don't have enough of the enzyme in your gut to break that down, you can get upset tummy, loose stools. They're not life-threatening. There's no danger there. And I think one of the things that restaurants, for example, will often say is that they get an inordinate number of people coming in and saying that they're allergic to things when actually they're either intolerant or they just don't like it. And this, I think, is important context for understanding why sometimes things might go wrong in restaurants. If it was only people with genuine allergies coming in and saying, I really can't have milk in this food, then it would be much easier to take it seriously if there weren't a load of other people coming in and saying, I absolutely can't have milk in this food because I've got an allergy when actually they don't have. Ras al-Shahid, what progress do you think still needs to be made? There has been an improvement with certain allergy standards with restaurants in the last few years but however there needs to be more strong punishments given out and in terms of more information on allergy booklets more signs making anyone with a allergy aware that they're more welcome to actually come and eat in the restaurant rather than be seen as some something as a liability there's nothing that can replace shaida being here But just knowing that less people are having fatal allergy reactions, at least having more uh, exposure with allergy education, that would at least help us as a family know that uh, less people are likely to go through what Shaida did. Well, thanks so much to Russell Shahid for telling us about his sister Shahida. Thanks also to Michael Hardacre from Slater and Gordon and the allergy specialist, Professor Adam Fox from St Thomas's Hospital. If you want to know more about this story or other Case Files episodes, have a look on our website, slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast, or head over to our social media channels and search hashtag Case Files pod and join the conversation. In our next episode, we'll hear the tragic story of a mum who had to fight to be heard when doctors misdiagnosed her son's sepsis. It had life-changing consequences for her and her child. Subscribe now to be one of the first to hear her story. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.